for a woman. It was a very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Okay. <laughs> Hello. Okay. Today's topic is Baruch Gozer Umekayim. And I, what I'm hoping is that at the end we'll also tie it to Hanukkah since we are oh, in Kislev. Nice. Yeah. And there's, there's such an important lesson for Hanukkah here. That, um, <coughs> excuse me. Okay. Baruch Gozer Umekayim. Hashem decrees Umekayim. So uh, we get a little stuck on how do we define this. Lekayim is to make something continue to exist. So it can mean to support, it can mean lasting, right? Kayam la'ad, it lasts forever. Um, so it's to make something not just happen, but continue to exist that already happens. So I want to go through a couple fundamental ways of defining this. So one is that Baruch Gozer Umekayim, Hashem is Gozer. He, you know, when we hear the word Gozer, that he decrees, there's a definitely a negative connotation to that, right? A Gezerah, nobody much talks about a Gezerah when something wonderful happens to them, right? Why not? I don't know. But the word Gezerah itself seems to mean something that is decreed that... Um, if it, weren't, if it weren't an absolute decree that you couldn't get out of, you'd be trying very hard to get out of it, right? That's, that's the decree. So Baruch Gozer Umekayim then would tell us, like the Torah's Kohanim, which is the Medrash on Vayikra, says, when, when Hashem says, Ani Hashem Elokeichem, Ani Hu Sheparati Midor Hamabo, I'm the one, Parati, who like took payment. Like I, I demanded what was owing from the generation of the flood, Umeanche Sodom, from the people of Sodom, Umin Hamitrim, and from the Egyptians, the Osidli And I'll take it from you if you follow in their ways. If you behave the way those people behave, then you're gonna have to pay up the way those people have to pay up. <coughs> okay. That's a, that's basically a definition of Baruch Gozer Makayim. <coughs> that Hashem decrees... Now, re- remember, we're, we're in Psuke de Zimra, so there's something inexorable in Psuke de Zimra, right? We, we've tried to focus on the positive of it, but in the end, there, it's about Yira Shemayim, right? I remember way back when, when we started this, we talked about Yira and Yira Shemayim and awe and looking at forces of nature. Those are forces that are so powerful that when Hashem sets them loose, we're looking and saying Hashem is the one who's controlling them, but we can't stand in the face of those things. Nobody can stand in the face of a tidal wave or, out, or outrun it, right? Or a tornado or an avalanche. I mean, these are, these are forces that are so much more powerful than a person's physical capabilities that these are, these are frightening. So the fact that Baruch Gozer Umekayim is really fits exactly into that, that there is justice, you know, um, din, Midas Hadin, is closely associated with nature. These are in the same level. You know, if we look at our, at our four-row stack of worlds, nature and Midas Hadin sit together because gravity doesn't have mercy. Or at least gravity is not a way of showing mercy in general upon people, right? I mean, either like either you, you go with the laws of nature or they'll go over you. I mean, they're not going to give way to you, 
Okay, this is, we're not talking about when you get to the supernatural, right? That a, a tzaddik might be holding in a certain place where Hashem will move the laws of nature away for him. But essentially, when we talk about laws of nature, and so Elohim and Hateva have the same gematria. They're both 86 because, um, 186. Elohim and what? I haven't, I have to recalculate that. As I recall, it's Elohim and Hateva, nature. If you don't feel well, but otherwise it's not as distracting for us as it is for you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> I'm coughing too. Okay. Um, <coughs> that strictness of justice and judgment is typically demonstrated in nature. That element of, you know, do follow the rules and it will be okay, and don't follow the rules and it won't be okay. Our closest experience with that, for the most part, is in nature, because when it comes to things that are beyond nature, Hashem is very patient with us. Right? Rachamim doesn't mean that Hashem says, oh, never mind, it's okay. Rachamim means I have all the time in the world to wait while you figure it out and get better. It doesn't mean that there isn't justice in the end. There is always justice in the end. So when there's that delay, it's a huge chesed to us because it gives us time to fix it, right? People always use the example, a bolt of lightning does not usually come down and hit someone every time they're Machal Shabbos. So it's a big chesed because if that were to happen, then as soon as someone ever did a sin in their life, let's say after the age of 13 or 20, then they wouldn't deserve to live anymore. Hashem said, I put you in this world, I'll take you out of it. So and that? Hashem gives us that space. Okay? But in Din, in the laws of nature, which is also under Hashem's control, we experience something closer to real justice. That, that's a, it's a subset of God's rules in the world where he doesn't necessarily put a time delay in. So what's the end of the sentence? Rachman doesn't mean there's no justice. It means? It means it's deferred. It's deferred. And that gives that the purpose of that is to give us time to improve, to fix it. Because one of the incredible things about Rachamim is that if we fix it, then even though we did mess up, we may not have to pay a price for it. We may be able, you know, if we mess up and from there we turn around and turn it into something good, could be it all becomes part of something good. That's a tremendous chesed. Okay? But what it does do is it can sort of... Uh, deflect our ability to recognize the absoluteness of din that exists in the world and nature is a way of seeing that of seeing where there are certain kinds of rules that like you can't really be violated (laughs) You, you know if you try they just the rules just keep going right over you okay so that's kind of like baruch gozer umakayim he decrees and that's what happens he makes it happen and that's even one of the Yud Gimel Ikram of the Rambam. You know, we sing a lot about, like, waiting for Mashiach, which is an important topic that probably eventually we'll get to. But there's also one, Ani Mamin Ben Shalema. The 11th premise is, I believe with perfect faith, Shabor Yisbarach Shemot Gomel Tovu Shomri Mitzvosav. Hashem does, he, he grants goodness to those who keep the mitzvos, Uman Ishlover Mitzvosav, and punishes those who don't who violate the mitzvos. People who violate mitzvos do have a price to pay, and that includes all of us. Okay. So why is it Baruch Gozer? Yeah, why would we be so happy about that? Yeah. Okay. 
So one piece is, and, and I want to, I kind of want to, there is a greatness and an awe that we're able to see when we see that a person had retribution in accordance with their behavior, whether it's for the good or the bad. And that itself forms a foundation. There's a kind of a, an <coughs> awe mm-hmm. that we're able, that, that is inspired in us when we see true retribution that is in accordance with a person's behavior, positive or negative. So when you hear, you know, mida keneged mida, mm-hmm. right? And especially when you can see it clearly, there's a sort of um, a sense of of a hint of the kind of greatness that's behind the wall where we can't see it. That Hashem is watching every detail and all is accounted for. But it is scary. That scariness is a foundation of Yira. It's not warm and fuzzy. It's something that shakes you backwards. Right? There's a there's a the sort of that tension between Ava and Yura where Ava pulls you forward and Yura pulls you backward that are constantly interplaying with each other. But one important message of Baruch Shamar is not to ignore that side of it. We really do need we do need to recognize that or else we don't have any proper reverence. Okay, so if you've um been the last probably four or five sessions of Rabbi Goldberg's Shear on Thursdays, so these sources are actually yeah, from there. Okay, so the, then you'll recognize them. If you haven't, then you won't recognize them. Okay, so the first one here is this um, Rashi about Yosef in Parshas Vayetse, Lamed Zion Beis, that Yosef spoke, he told over to his father. Yosef brought a bad r- report back to their father. He, told, he was tattling, so to speak, on his brothers. Now, why he was doing that, it's hard to say. It's not so clear whether that was the right decision or the wrong decision. He was doing it because he felt they wouldn't listen to him. So he would tell their father and he would correct them. You know, again, whether that was exactly the right thing or the wrong thing, it's hard to say. There's so many pieces to this story. So what does Rashi say over here? Esti Samra. Let me just make sure I find the right part. Okay. Kol Ra'a. Hi, how are you? Kol Ra'a. Shahaya Ro'a ve'echa. B'nei Le'a. Anything bad. What is it that he was reporting bad about them? Anything bad that he saw in his brothers who were the sons of Le'a. Haya Magid La'aviv. He would relate over to his father. Shahayu Ochlin Ever Minachai. He told on them that they were eating Averman Achai. Now, we know that our Avos kept all the mitzvos, but regardless, even as B'nai Noach, it's forbidden to eat Averman Achai. Averman Achai is eating from an animal before it's been killed. Okay, so even before you get to the laws of Shrita for Jews, no human being is permitted to just tear a leg off an animal and eat it, and the animal's alive. So he thought that he had seen them eat Averman Achai. And 
and he told on them that they were disparaging the other sons, meaning not, not him and Benjamin, who are the children of Rachel, but that the sons of Leah were making light of the brothers who were descended from Bilhah and Zilpah, and and said that they were slaves because their mothers were shvachos. And that he suspected them of immoral relations. Okay, so that's what he did. Uvishlashtan, and with regard to each of these three, Laka, he was hit. In other words, he had a punishment corresponding to each of those. So Rashi is definitely saying over here, he shouldn't have done that. What were the punishments? With regard to the fact that he reported that they were eating Aver Minachai, it says that after they sold him, I'm just looking to see if I can find the puzzle right away. No, okay. It says they sat down to eat and they slaughtered a goat. And clearly, if they slaughtered it, they didn't eat it high, living. And with regard to the report that he said about them, that they were calling their brothers slaves, he became a slave. The Alha Arayos, Shasipir Alehem, and with regard to the immorality that he reported about them, Vatisha Aisha Sadona the wife, the wife, the married wife of his master set her eyes upon him. Okay, that was after he was sold and he was in the house of Potiphar, Mrs. Potiphar decided to focus on him. Now you'll notice that the last two of these seem like punishments. Meaning, sold it for a slave, you can see that there's a correspondence between that and saying that they're calling their brothers slaves. And the fact that all of a sudden he has to deal with this crazy immoral lady is corresponding to the fact that he accused his brothers of being immoral. But the fact that when they sold him, they slaughtered a goat, in what way did that punish him? for having said that they ate animals without slaughtering them. Well, I think because punishment's not necessarily, I mean, punishment's like a correction. It's exactly, not always, exactly. Mm-hmm. So the Sichos Moser of Chaim Shmulevitz, that's source number two, ki tachlis ha'onesh ba'olam hazeh, the purpose of punishment in this world, hi lelameda sa'adam lekach, is to teach a person a lesson. Ulehochiach lo, Lochiach can mean to demonstrate, it can mean to prove. In other words, to make it really clear that it is the truth to him, kitoehu, that he is erring, he is wrong, he is mistaken, the toos biado, and there's a mistake in his hands. Okay, that's that's what it's for is that a person has to recognize that he is wrong. These, I said these sources you'll recognize if you've been to Rabbi Goldberg's shir the last two months. Okay, so that's the point of it. So if he's there, down in the pit, and up there he can kind of see or hear that they're slaughtering a goat, then he's gonna realize, oh my gosh, I was wrong. Then that's the point. When you experience something 
and you can connect it to the fact that you did something wrong because it's something you did wrong so you have to feel the the didness you know like we were we've been talking about this sort of putting things into action where the action yes the power of the action comes from all of the spiritual kavana behind it but it's not fully activated until there's some action associated with it. And the same thing, the power of something we experience that's punishment has much greater power than just the philosophical thought that, oh, if you do that, something will happen to you. Okay. The Beis HaLevi says, there's a mistake there, there's an extra stuff. It's Beis HaLevi Torah. Kol Ha'on Shem HaKsuvim Torah. All the punishments that are written in the Torah are not what we would consider punishment or revenge, God forbid. They're all in the category of repair. There's a purpose. It's not just to get some kind of like, hey, you did this to me, so now I'm going to do this to you. It's always that there should be some kind of rep- repair that comes out of it. Rav Yitzchak Blazer. It's always a harder source, actually, to track down seems to be in like a journal, not a safer. Omnam kita im kitahlis yiras Hashem, hu bevatai madrega hakavoa, shall yiras haromimus. The goal we're aiming for, what we aspire to in our yiras shamayim, is of course a higher level, which is yiras haromimus, fear of God's hot, the fact that He's so high, right? The, the sense that God is so great and so vast and so enormous and so beyond us. That is the kind of Yira Shemaim that we strive for. Ulam Yadua, however, it's well known, Ki Yiras Hashem, Reishis Das He Yiras Haonesh. But the beginning of acquiring that, you have to start somewhere. And the place where that begins is actually fear of punishment. And fear of punishment is not a lofty kind of Yira Shemaim, right? We would never say, oh, this person's such a Sadiq because he's afraid God will punish him. It's not what we aspire to. But without that, you don't have the building blocks upon which to go upward towards something higher. The, the first step is Yiras HaOnesh. Yiras HaOnesh means I'm afraid because I know that my actions have consequences. My actions mean something and God is paying attention to them. And what I do is going to make a difference and I'm going to feel the difference too. And our great teacher, Rav Chaim Vital, says in his Hakdama to Eitz Chaim, the Habali Taher Velikari Vreshis Hakol Yiras Hashem Lahasig Yiras Onish. A person who comes and wishes to purify himself and draw close to God has to begin with Yiras Shemaim, and to begin with Yiras Shemaim, he has to first get a good grip on Yiras Onish, fear of punishment. Ki Yiras Haromus Shehi Yira Hapnimis, because awe that's that's awe of God's greatness which is a much more, more deep and penetrating kind of yira, you can't achieve that until you get to these higher levels. What you have to start with is yira sa'onesh. So why did I bring these? Because we have to understand, this, it's this question, why would we be at all happy, why would we praise God What's for gozer umekayim? Of Roman Moses, I, I, I don't know what's the right word, um, it's it's well, being on high. Right. So actually, I try. I translated Hashem's highness. So yeah. It hit me that they <laughs> people call say your highness. Your highness. Right. That you're just, so high. Right. It just, right. They got it. Le is to elevate. So Romimos okay. is that which is elevated, very very elevated. 
You know, if you if you have this, if you're overwhelmed with the feeling that God is so high and He's seeing, you know, it's far. I was I was once in Switzerland and we went up to this. It was sort of a botanical garden of alpine plants. So they're all really really miniature, like the plants grow small and the flowers are really tiny. And it's this sort of something to do with the altitude or the oxygen or something or the sun. I don't know. So we went up and they're at the top of this mountain. And you can kind of walk out. You're like on the edge of, I mean, it's an alp. <laughs> so you're really high up. And down below, thousands of feet down below, there's a beautiful lake. And you can see like villages and mountains on the other side over in Italy. And it's this view. It's like, I don't know, you're like higher than an eagle. You're just up there and you can see down and there's teeny little house, sort of like when you're in an airplane, you know, except that here they didn't have that sense of the box around you. And it was this incredible moment of like, something could be so high and everything down below could be so small in comparison. And yet inside of each of those little houses, there's people, there's whole people with whole lives and families and stories and challenges. And yet from up here, you can see everything is really so small in comparison. So if you can somehow reverse that, right, just as like a mini experience and say, but again, it's the, the feeling of the experience that makes its impact more than the knowledge of it, right? Mm -hmm. To say, like, as much as I am able to see or tell or sense or like, <laughs> there's somebody up there who is paying that kind of attention, like to each person and to every event. You know, one of the points of Baruch Gozer Mekayim, Ruf Baruch Epstein says, why, why would we praise Hashem that he makes a decree and fulfills it? Because that's one way to translate it. He makes a decree and fulfills it. So why would that be such a praise of Hashem? Any king or judge does that. He says, that's it. We're going to make a tax. And then he follows through on it, right? But the answer is no. Every king or judge cannot do that. Because, number one, they can't always enforce it. Even if they think they can enforce it, they can be undermined. So you can sentence someone to three years in jail, and he could die in jail after one year. So did you get your three years of jail, or did you not get You, you didn't. You didn't have control over that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is gozer on a person and makes sure that that person is going to have exactly what was gozer on them. This is gozer Makayim, that only Hashem can even fulfill that which he sets out to do. There's a, this kind of like... That is also a kind of awe. It's the beginning of awe. Okay. I, I once heard somewhere, and I, I don't remember where, about a man who was a prisoner. He was put into isolation in a Russian cell. Um, and he was there for like these inhuman amounts of time. And at one point he was davening, he was trying to daven whatever he knew by heart. And he's singing Baruch Sha'amar to himself. And all of a sudden, he stopped and said, what is Baruch Gozer Umakayim? And they said, and why did I never notice it before now? Like, it's such a strange, it's just a strange thing to praise Hashem for. And then he said, he, he had like a chiddush. He had just this new insight into it. He said, Hashem is Gozer. Hashem decrees Umakayim. And he sustains us. Meaning, he sustains us so that we can survive his decrees too. Hmm. With both hands, right? 
he might make a gazera on us and at the same time at the same time he also sustains us which is like an it's just like a very i wish i knew who i could attribute it to fairly okay the shla and i did not put the shla in here it's not included automatically in the source sheet software. It was a little too much to type in the amount of time that I had. Schla says something like this. And now this is where I want to sort of like branch out a little bit into this idea of Baruch Gozer Mekayim without undermining the fact that really there is that awe of, of Hashem's greatness and, and fear of punishment. The Schla says like this. You should know. This is in uh, Torah or on Vayera. He says, "Mitchila tzarech shateda masha kasafti beparshas gracious beinyan mitchila olav bemachshava livro haolam bemidas haden rei vechule vechasafti sham baruchos." Okay, he says, I, "I already wrote at greater length in parshas gracious about the idea, which you probably have come across before, where the oral Torah tells us mitchila olav bemachshava livro haolam bemidas haden." At the beginning, it came up in Hashem's machshava, so to speak. God thought to create the world with Midas Hadin, and when he saw that, <coughs> excuse me, when he saw that the world could not stand under living in constant din, right, imagine, if everything in the world functioned the way the laws of nature function, with an immediate action equals reaction, <coughs> we wouldn't survive. <coughs> therefore, excuse me, therefore he was Mishtatev, Hashem partnered Midas HaRachamim with Midas Hadin. Right? You've heard this idea? So the Torah begins, Bracious bar Elohim. Everything Elohim, Elohim, Elohim. And when he comes and creates man, all of a sudden you have Hashem Elohim, and you have Midas Hadin with Midas Arachimim together. Okay. He says, what the principle that he's referring to, that he had spoken about before, is Chatz V'Shalom, Lonis Vatla HaMachshav HaRishona. He says, it doesn't mean that Hashem had an idea and then canceled that. That's not what it means. God is not a person who changes his mind. Okay? If that's the beginning point, that's describing to us the beginning of creation. The first part of creation is, in, it's, a, it's making a mashal, right? The Torah is speaking to us in language we can understand. How does it work with people? First you have the idea. Then you figure out how to implement, and then you start doing it. Okay? So step one is just the concept. The concept, the step one of creation was the machshava. That's called the machshava. And that machshava is midas hadin. It didn't go away. But it was set aside only for those who are b'nei aliyah, people who are always striving to grow and go upward. Because they are so elevated, Hashem can be precise with them according to Midas Hadin, like a hair's breadth. Why? Because they could tolerate it. Meaning they're not doing sins that deserve death right and left, right? There, there could be a correction, and then it's over. They could have the Midas Hadin, and they're not carrying any baggage forward with them. The Azhem B'nai Elyon Mamish, and they become not just B'nai Aliyah, people going upward, but B'nai Elyon, people who are elevated. These become people who are on high. B'nai Elyon, they're almost like Malachim. 
Rak ra'isi muatim. But but honestly, how many bnei aliyah have you really seen? They're really in the minority. Vrov hamonam she'ei malasam gadola kol kach etzlom shitei fakadosh baruch hu midas adin midas arachamim. But for most people who are not, we're not on such a high level. So Hashem partners together midas adin with the midas arachamim. And I think this is in accordance with how I defined midas arachamim before. Ula asid in the future. When the world will revert back to its original state, people will go back to being like Adam Harishon before the Chait, and the world will go back to its perfect state that corresponds with that. Everyone will be so elevated. And what else? The world will function according to Midas Adin. So it was not discarded but there was a shutfus, a partnership, which, remember we talked about how that also means it's a longer process, Midas HaRachman? <laughs> okay? It's a much longer way to get from here to perfection via Midas HaRachman than Midas HaDin. The problem is, as human beings, we weren't going to get there by Midas HaDin at all. So we're taking the long route. <laughs> okay. The Afshar Lavolazet El Achar HaDin Hamedutak But you can't get to that place without din. Din is what allows people to become elevated in that way. This is the secret of the purification of Golos and Tsaris in the Jewish people. He says, you know how you get to Geula? It's through Golos. We, we're not on a level you know, I don't know if you've ever wondered this, like, why would we ever think Mashiach would come in our generation? He didn't come in the generation of Rabbi Akiva. He's going to come in mine? <laughs> do, who do I think I am? Right? So how, what does this mean? All these generations that we've had with so much suffering and so much gullus and so much difficulty, but, but all that suffering creates kapara for us. All the Midas Hadin that we do go through, and it has to be stretched out over a long time because we're not up to handling it all in one blow. But by experiencing it, in every generation they get up to wipe us out completely. All of this, piece by piece, what it does is it allows each generation to actually merit the Geula. We don't just get given the Geula, we merit it. We qualify for it. How do we qualify? We're not that good. We qualify because we've suffered. So, nimsa, it comes out. Midas hadin, that midas hadin, hu be'etzem rachamim gedolim, is really the biggest rachamim. If God would say, never mind, right? We won't make you suffer. We won't make you pay the price for what you've done wrong. So where would that leave us at the end? It wouldn't leave us in Geula land. So the biggest rachamim is when Hashem implements Midas Hadin for us. Zehu inyon Yitzchak ben Avraham. This is the concept of Yitzchak, the son of Avraham. This is on many levels. There's a Gemara that talks about at the end of days that Hashem will say to the Avos, you, there's no redeeming factor here for your children. I mean, it's a, it's a Gemara that's difficult to read even. Because he brings it to Avraham, who like, 
Avraham, who could love Yishmael, right? And Avraham says, yeah, you're right. You'll have to kill them. Can we imagine such a thing? Like what it would take for us to be, you know, I don't think we have such a clear view of ourselves. That's a fact, right? And Yaakov, and Yaakov's kind of like, yeah, I have nothing to say. And it's Yitzchak who's able to stand up. And Yitzchak then, when it comes to the end of days, is our father. In other words, this quality of Midas Hadin and Gevura is what saves us and gets us to the point of Geula in the end. This is also the idea of Yitzchak, the son of Avraham, where Avraham is Midas HaChesed, Yitzchak is Midas Hadin, and the Midas Hadin is the son of the Midas HaRachamim, Midas HaChesed. In other words, the Midas Hadin, which is born of Chesed, it's a function of Chesed. The ultimate Chesed is providing Midas Hadin. And what's Yitzchak going to say? <laughs> he says, really, God, you can't tolerate it? And Hashem's like, what do you mean? So he says, look, how long does a person live anyway? We're so small. Now I'm saying from memory, which is not a good idea. It's not as bad as trying to say Torah Shabbat from memory, but I'm not such an expert in Gemara. And it's been a while since I've seen this Gemara. But he says, you know, people live, what, 70, 80 years is an average. He says, and they're sleeping a third of the time. And they're under the age of responsibility for a big chunk of the time. And they're learning Torah some of the time. And they're eating and drinking some of the time. And he just like says, like, so for this, for, for 20 years, you know, of even if they're bad every other minute, that much you can't tolerate. And if not, so I'll take it. He says, you won't carry it, I'll carry it. Like what, the, you know, I don't think we have a concept of what Gavura means. What real strength is. <laughs> to be able to say, I'll, I'll carry that. Which he was able to do because he had given his whole life over to God. Mm-hmm. As the one who was a carbon, he was able to say, then I'll carry it. So it's the, there's something going on here with Gvura that is like just way beyond, mm-hmm. right? What that does the, it actually mean though? <laughs> we have a separate cheer on this topic, but I'd have to go look at the notes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is based on a Pasuk in Yeshaya, where it says that the, that the people will say to Yitzchak, you are our father. Right? You are our father. And Yitzchak says, he, he looks upward. He says, don't look at me. Don't look at me, look up there, right? I'm, I'm not actually the father, it's Hashem who's your father, right? It's, it's a very, very amazing and interesting passage. But it's also very disturbing to realize, like, to realize how far gone we maybe are and to give us a kind of a, a celebration. Um, Rabbi Yoel Gold, just, you know, he puts out these little videos. Did you see this new one? Okay, so sometime, I think really in the last day or two, he put out a new video. If you ask me, I'll send you a link, or you can just find it yourself. It's on YouTube. Um, he did a video just now. Something, the title is something about a hand, and it's about a man who was training for paratroopers in the Israeli army, and when they jump out from the planes, they have these um, pull cords that are hooked to the plane. And then when they jump and they fall, the cord pulls against the plane, like hundreds of feet above, and that yanks out the parachute as they jump, even without them pulling out the ripcord. 
So when he jumped, the plane hit turbulence at exactly the same time. It was like this freak accident. And the plane like somehow went higher like dramatically and the guy below him bounced backward. And somehow some piece of the guy ahead of him's equipment knocked against him and it, it cut his hand off. So they found his hand, which is also a little hard to understand. Somehow they found his hand and they did the surgery and they put it back on, but the hand is somewhat deformed and it doesn't work very well. But he, he's got something there. And he has certain things like his car steering wheel has like a special sort of a, call it like a tapuach, like a, a bulge, like a knob sticking out of his steering wheel to make it easier to drive, whatever. Anyway, he lives in a yishuv and he and his wife and his kids were in the car and all of a sudden, these Arabs set up a roadblock and they started shooting at them. And his wife is covered in blood and his baby's covered in blood and they're still shooting at them. And he wanted to go forward, but they had blocked the road. And all he could think was, I gotta turn around and try and get out of here. Um, I think he was shot in the head or his wife was shot in the head. And anyway, but to turn, you know, you're trying to make like a three point turn on like a little road <laughs> under fire, but he had this knob on the steering wheel. And so he was able to turn it like all the way around and he got out of there much faster and this man attributes he said if I at the time when I lost my hand that seems like a disaster that's a gazera mm -hmm. right but if I hadn't lost my hand I wouldn't have my wife and children so was it a was it a gazera or was it a chesed Sometimes we don't see, I mean, that's, you remember we did last year Pesach time about the Bnei Ephraim who died in the desert, and yet they came back later. It, what looks to us like the Gezerah, there's a way of thinking where we could say, you know, Baruch Gozer Umakayim Hashem sustains us with the Gezerah as well. And, and that's something that's like a much deeper level and not necessarily something that we can even see the truth of very much. It's very rare for us to be able to see something in there. So I wanted to share, we just have a few minutes, but I wanted to share one more idea, which is a different angle on Baruch Gozer and Mekayim, but it relates to Hanukkah, and I think is important as well. The Hashmonaim, in the days of the Yavonim, so they passed all these rules, right? You can't... You can't have a door on your house, and you can't keep Rosh Chodesh, and you can't do Brismila, and you can't teach children Torah, and all these different, different gezeras put on the baby bottles, Ein Lano Chelek, Belkei Yisrael, that all these terrible rules that they promulgated. So what did the Jews who were righteous do? And I found this very helpful because there's like all these different pieces of the Hanukkah story, but I had never had them put together. I understand. What they did is they ran for the hills. They ran and hid in caves, right? And that's where you get the bit about the dreidels, that the kids would play the dreidel, okay? And it's all very cute except for the parts where they come and they find them in the caves and smoke them to death, you know, light fires and whatever. So they ran and hid. So why did they run and hide? Because that's what you do when you're under attack, run and hide. And even if a big chunk of people are gonna get caught and killed, it, some of you will survive. So that's what they did. And after three years, something changed because then we start having this story about Matisyahu and the Maccabim and the fighting. So what changed? 
the Hashmonah, like the people of the time looked around and they said, we're hiding in caves, but what will people then say? If you pass laws against the Torah, the Jews will obey because they don't see us. We're hiding in caves. So what you see are the Jews who say, what can you do? You can't fight progress or you can't fight the government, right? Whatever it is. So they'll say that that's the way it is, that our connection to God was not really so robust that it would outweigh, you know, the threat. Are we permitted to sacrifice our lives in order that people should know that we wouldn't take the destruction of Torah lying down? They didn't think they could win those wars because you don't send a bunch of Rosh Hashivas out to fight your wars for you. <laughs> you keep them home to daven and learn Torah or something for a merit. You don't send those people out to fight, especially when they've been in a cave for three years. Right? So what they wanted to know was, are we permitted to sacrifice our lives al-Kidush Hashem? I've also heard this told in the catalyst for the Hashem, which was Yehudis. Right? So you have Yehudis, who... At, did you know the story of Yehudis, really? <laughs> so Yehud, what was going on at the time was that any, wom- any woman who was going to get married, the night of the wedding, they would come and take her for the Greek officers, whoever the procurator, I guess that would be Roman, whoever the Greek officers were, and they would take her for the night there first and then go back. Now, the truth is she's forced and she's not participatory. She doesn't have to die, right? And women were killing themselves rather than be raped. Yehudis stood up. Yehudis, I mean, this is like awkward stories that they don't tell so much, right? Yehudis took her shirt off under the chuppah and her family was, what is the matter with you? And she said, what is the matter with you? You're letting women just get like raped, like right under you and you don't speak up, you don't say anything. So the question was, are the women allowed to kill themselves in order that people should not say that they go along with it. Are, they, are you allowed? Because you're not allowed to kill yourself. If they're not chayev, right, to, to die, then who says you're allowed to kill yourself? So the story goes either way and both ways. All right? With the fighting, with the women, what are they allowed to do? So the answer that they got was, we have a precedent. If you ask what should we do, the halacha is hide. Hide, don't participate, and whatever happens, happens. That's a halacha. But they're asking a different question. They're saying, are we permitted to sacrifice ourselves for the honor of heaven? So that people should not say that the Jewish people don't care. And there was a precedent. So the precedent is in this source, which is labeled here as hay. It's the Medrash on Shir Hashirim, which asks the question, I mean, it's excerpted it because it's pretty long anyway. Why did the Jews have their lives called into question in the days of Haman, right? They really almost died. In the end, they were saved. The Rabbanon said it's because the Jewish people worshipped idols. Aldas Rabbi Shimon, in the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, lo avdu Yisrael avodos kolchavim. The Jews did not worship idols. Ha'ketzad. What story is he talking about? 
Nebuchadnezzar Hamid Selem Vehifrish Mikol Uma Vauma Shlosha Shlosha Ushlosha Mikol Yisrael. Nebuchadnezzar set up an idol. Nebuchadnezzar was a king before Ahasuerus, but same, same exile. He put up an idol and he called for three people from every nation in his empire and every people to come and bow down to the idol. And Hanania, Mishal, and Azariah, who were prominent people from Yehuda, were the three that were named to represent the Jewish people. And they, 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 they um, refused to comply and did not worship the, they didn't bow down to the Avodah Zarah. Now, part of the argument over here has to do with everybody knew this was not an Avodah Zarah. The idol he put up didn't represent any existing, um, any existing religion. It was like, everyone can have their own religion, but we're also going to have this idol representing our unified empire, and everyone should come and bow down to that to, re- to show that they are part of this empire and giving into it. So what did they do? So they went to the Gadol Hador. That's Daniel. Amrulo and said to him, Rabbeinu Daniel. I love like the way you hear like this conversations, right? Rabbeinu Daniel, our teacher Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar Hamitzelam v'hifrish mikoluma v'uma shlosha shlosha v'lanu hifrish mikol Yisrael ma tau merlanu niskod leolo. What do you say? Do we worship it or not? What do we do? Amar lahem, he said to them, meaning maybe you're allowed to bow down to it when your life is threatened, since nobody thinks it's really an idol. And he said to them, I can't tell you what to do. I'm, I'm just a rabbi. But there's a Navi who's alive now. Go ask the Navi. So they went to Yechezkel, who was a prophet at that time. Amrulo and said to him, Kamosha Amrula Daniel, like they had said to Daniel. Niskod Leolo, do we worship it or not? Amarlahem, he said, Ishaya Rabbi. Here's the lesson that I have handed down from Ishaya. Chavi Kimat Rega Adyavor Zam. Hide for a while until the anger passes by. Duck and let the wave go go over you. Isn't tight. So in other words, you three run. And somebody else will get picked. But you you run for it and save your lives. Amrule, they said to him, Mot bai, diyehun amri hadein salma sagdinle kolumaya. Wait a minute. Are you saying people now are going to say that every nation bowed down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol? So he said, so what do you say? Because they said, if we don't show up, they're going to call someone else who will bow down. And then the people will say, everybody bowed down to the idol. They said, We say that we should make it imperfect. So let them call us up. We'll refuse to bow down. Whatever happens to us, happens to us. But then people will say, every nation bowed down to Nebuchadnezzar's idol except the Jews. You understand? And he said to them, Im if that's really what you think, hang on while I ask God. As it says, 
Yashuvu Lefanai. So I brought the quote. We won't have time for it. Hi. Oh, do you have a meeting in here now? 9.05. Okay. Thank you for the warning. Okay. So this is a passage in Yechezkel that people, three people came to ask him what they should do at Lidrosh's Hashem to ask Hashem's advice and they came to him. So the question is maybe we should stop here because this is as good a stopping place as any. It's a pretty suspenseful one. But what can you do? Yeah. That's why I was in such a rush. I was yeah, hoping to finish the source. I didn't know why I we'll have to stop in the middle. Week. But that's okay. Yeah, that's a Great. So should we leave this with you? Um, whatever's convenient for you is fine. Okay. Okay.